All right, so I'm going to uh, pray and we will, uh, uh, I will um, hear, hear the message this morning, uh, worship God through hearing his word. Uh, let's uh, bow our heads and, and let's go to God together. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would be with us this morning um, as, I, uh, as I share the word. I pray that you would help me to be faithful to the scriptures. I pray that you would um, keep our hearts in harmony with you. I pray that you would pour your spirit on us. Help us to know you more through here in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so for the uh, Growing Kids God's Way class, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the assignments we were given a couple of weeks ago, because we get homework every time, one of the assignments we were given was to uh, plan, like husbands, were to plan a date night for wife, Right? We were, we were supposed to take our wives out on a date and uh, um, be creative and all this other stuff. And they're actually giving out a prize for the best date. So, you know, that, that was a strong incentive. Um, the, uh, my wife and I, we went out on Friday and we spent the, the day. We had a whole bunch of stuff planned that we did. But as we, were, we went out, I asked my wife, I said, so in the 20 years almost, or actually almost 21 that we've known each other, Esther, what, what were the best dates we ever went on? Like, what were the most memorable moments we, we ever had together? And, and we talked about different things. We had a, a day that, that we were in Costa Rica, and we hiked um, through the rainforest to see a waterfall, which is, you know, and she's like, well, that's more of a trip than a date. And, you know, it's also, like, how do you even compete with that later? You know, I'll outdo myself then. I'll build my own waterfall. Um, the... Uh, not that everything's competition. That's not how it works. I, I'm sorry. Um, but, but as we were talking about different things that we had done together over the years, one of the things that my wife commented was one of the best dates we ever went on was uh, our anniversary like three years ago uh, when Dwayne, who is one of the best guys I know, uh, loaned us his, his what year is it? His 1965 Mustang. His, his cherry red 1965 Mustang, which is a beautiful car, right? It's also one of my wife's favorite cars. Like she said, it is the only classic car I would ever be allowed to buy. Not Dwayne specifically, although. <laughs> um, but, but she said, you know, and, and so we, I, I, I uh, went to Dwayne, and he, he allowed me to borrow this, this very nice car, right? And, I mean, y'all, have you all seen it? It is a nice car. And I, I, the first thing I did was I went and I, I met up with Terry, and we carefully and lovingly washed it. Not because it needed to be washed, but because it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, I, I'm not sure if this makes sense. Like when, when you know, like as a guy, when I, I sat behind the wheel of this car, I felt like washing it was, was the natural thing to do at that point, right? It, it just felt natural. And I, I, the whole time I had to fight with this desire to do one thing and every guy in the room is going to know what I mean yeah the the drop <laughs> and I did not do it but I wanted to and and not only that I in the entire time we were out I did not exceed the speed limit which I don't know some of y'all have driven with me that that <laughs> I, <laughs> this whole story's made up, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I I did not speed. I we went and we we painted like pottery at the at that brush crazy place downtown, 
and I had to park on the street downtown, and I had trouble concentrating because I had to go check the car and just make sure um, because it's a 1965 Mustang, right? And, and I actually stopped and got gas, and I had three different people pull up and ask about the car. Um, and, and like the entire, my wife, actually, the reason I didn't speak is my wife drove. Um, <laughs> but she didn't speed either. And in fact, we, we figured out that the speedometer was set low, whether that's on purpose or not, I'm not sure. Um, but, but we still didn't speed by the speedometer that was a little slow, right? Like it, we, we were very, I put premium in it. Like we, we treated it like, like a treasure because it is, I mean, it's a 1965 Mustang. It's a treasure, right? Um, I, I, I'm starting with this because we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about Sabbath, right? And we're going to be talking about specifically Jesus talking about Sabbath. And there's some cool things that come out in this. And, and in that, I'm willing to bet that if Dwayne wants, Dwayne could go home, he could pull the Mustang out onto the gravel, he could rev the car all the way up in neutral, he could drop it and drive, and he could lay tread, at least for a little ways, right, Dwayne? If you wanted. I'm willing to bet that at least one of his sons has. <laughs> Am I right? I think <laughs> not that they would tell you, and maybe one of his daughters. Um, <laughs> but the difference between Dwayne, one of his sons, and Eric is that's Dwayne's car, right? And so Dwayne, if he wants to play out like an episode of Dukes of Hazard with it, he can do it, right? Like he can run from the cops and jump over a stream if you could find one in Big Sandy. He could, you know, he could weld the door shut and go in and out of the windows. I can't do that. It's not my car, right? But Dwayne can do whatever he wants with the Mustang. And then his sons, within reason, right, because the moment they total it, the whole conversation changes. But like... They have an inherited authority that allows them to drive that car a little differently than Eric can, right? Because when Eric borrows it, this is a, like, huge responsibility and a huge blessing that we treat with respect. Um, that having been said, we're going to talk about Sabbath. And part of what we're going to talk about in relation to Sabbath is authority, Right? And, and this is going to make sense in a minute. We're going to be in the book of Mark. If you want to find it in the book of Mark, it's um, in the New Testament. It's um, specifically Mark uh, is Peter's preaching notes. When Peter went out and preached the gospel to folks, Mark is like was Peter's assistant who traveled around with Peter. And he collected Peter's information into Mark's gospel. There's the shortest of the gospels, right? Uh, it tends to be the quickest to move through things, but it, it's often referred to as Peter's preaching notes. Got it? Um, and so, uh, just that's what Mark is. I'm going to go backwards through my background. Um, there's a lot of confusion about Sabbath, and we're going to talk about what Jesus said about it. For the Jewish folks, it was a very serious business, and this text highlights how serious it was. Um, but in particular, for ancient Jews, this was a national identity thing, right? When we went to Costa Rica, there is a phrase that Costa Ricans say, right? Pura Vida, which I have mispronounced because I'm an American, it's my right. Um, pure, 
Pura Vida basically means something like don't worry or no worries, right? And, like, every Costa Rican says it. It's like the national motto, right? It's just how they, I mean, it's just how, they, like, they all said it. And it was weird how much they said it and how quickly they just rattled it off. It was like A in Canada, only kind of cool. Um, I have a Canadian friend that listens to the sermons, and that's why I did that. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the... But, but it's part of their national identity. It sets them apart from anyone, everyone else. So the ancient Jews would celebrate Sabbath. They were the only ones who did anything of the sort. And it was a big deal. And they wanted to make sure that it was a big deal. And so they made very clear lines regarding what was and what was not Sabbath. And, and we'll kind of dig into that as we go. But be aware, like this is a huge national identity, obeying God kind of thing for them. And, and, you know, biblically, Sabbath is the seventh day of rest that God took and then commanded us to take. That's it. Um, so, we dive into the text. This is Mark 23 to 24. And before we start actually on the text, be aware, this is the, Mark does a thing where he collects up a handful of instances where, he comes, where Jesus comes into conflict with the Pharisees, right? And, like, these are big conflict moments in the book of Mark. They are probably lined up to make a point, right? Like, like, and so you have one, the other, the other, and then we're going to look at the last two, which are both about Sabbath, right? And, and so be aware, this is at the end of a big, long collection of conflict that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees were sort of the religious elite of the day, elite of the day. These were these super church folks, um, or the church lady you all have seen Saturday Night Live. That's a Dana Carvey thing, the church lady. Or she's so holy and good and proper and prim that, you know, she's barely Christian anymore. Um, and she judges everyone, and that's kind of who the Pharisees were. They were the religious police who were perfect. And so one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, here's some, some things. First off, the, the Pharisees are with them, right? Like, because otherwise they wouldn't have seen it. So these Pharisees are following them around. We know that the Pharisees at this point are like trying to find reasons to trip Jesus up. And they're looking for reasons to kind of call him out. And what they're specifically calling him out for isn't exactly against the rules, right? Um, first off, there's no rule against picking grain. In the ancient world, like farmers had to leave a certain amount of grain in the field. For, for poor people to eat, right? And so, like, if you were poor, you could just walk into a farmer's field and go to the edges and, and glean what you wanted and eat it. And it was not against the rules. Um, you were allowed to travel a certain distance, a thousand yards uh, or meters. I can never tell the difference. Uh, and I don't ask me. Um, so you had a certain amount, but they weren't violating those rules. The rule that they were violating was they were gleaning. They were harvesting. Um, now, I know when y'all harvest, you've got machines that do it relatively quickly in between breakdowns, right? Uh, a generation ago, they did it even slower. A generation before that, they did, did it somewhat slower. I've seen horse-pulled things that are around here that somebody must have used, right? Sorry. Oh, I'm sneezing now. All of you with... The <laughs> um, when Craig was a kid, they, they used, you know, dinosaurs, and they pulled the, <laughs> the gleaning cart. Um, so they, they, 
but like in the ancient world, they, they, they gleaned very slowly. They had, uh, and, and they, they harvested very slowly. It was a very tedious task, um, the sort of thing that might be done by hand. And so these guys are gleaning. And there's no rule in the Old Testament saying you cannot harvest on Sabbath, right? There's no specific rule. However, there's a collection of religious books called um, the Mishnah. And then under the Mishnah, there's the Talmud, right, which is all of like, like I'll read a commentary where somebody who's much smarter than me explains what a passage means. That's what that is. That's like all the rabbis from years and years and years saying, well, this is what this means and this is what this means. And like, oh, what's work on the Sabbath? Well, don't make your bed. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they, there are three or two books devoted to Sabbath in the, in the Talmud, right? Um, one is the Sabbat is the name of it. And I know that one off the top of my head. And the Sabbat explains what's work, right? And there are 67 laws related to what is work. That's a lot, right? Um, a third of them relate to what is harvest that is work. So they were serious. You were not going out and picking stuff on, har- on, on Sabbath. Like it was a big deal to avoid harvesting on Sabbath. And so the disciples are doing this. And the Pharisees jump on it. Oh, 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 they're working. They're working. You see if they're working, Right? They're doing something that's unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, unlawful according to the tradition. Uh, there's a great line in, uh, in the Mishnah where, let me see if I can find it because I want to read it by uh, verbatim because it's worthwhile. It's in the book of Hagiga, which is uh, not in the Bible. It's in the Mishnah. Um, the rules about the Sabbath, the festal offerings, and sacrilege are mountains hanging by a hair. For scripture is scanty and the rules are many. Um, meaning the Old Testament says a few things about Sabbath, and then they made a a bunch of rules up. When I talked to Dwayne about borrowing the car, Dwayne at no point in time said, don't drive 120. Right? He never mentioned it. He never said, don't lay tread with my car. He didn't say it. Not once. He didn't say, don't jump over any ravines while being chased by the police. It never came up, right? How did I know not to do those things? Well, Dwayne loaned me a really nice car, and I wanted to treat it with respect, and I wanted to be very careful with it, and I wanted to bring it back nicer than it was when I got it, and so I babied it and was super careful and, like, went above, I assume, hopefully beyond what he expected of me, in, in keeping an eye on it, where I even like hung out by the window of the place we were at to watch it to make sure nobody heeded or anything. And a guy stopped near it and was smoking a cigarette, and I went out to talk to him just to say hi, incidentally. <laughs> um, Dwayne never mentioned that. But I was worried about offending him. I was worried about taking advantage of this, this gift he had loaned me. And, and so I, I went above and beyond what was necessary. And that's what the, the, the Jewish folks have done at this point. They've gone above and beyond what's appropriate. You all with me? Um, picking grain to eat because you're hungry isn't supported by the Old Testament, right? He's just not. Um, and he returns. So Jesus responds, have you never read what David did? By the way, have you never read? Of course they read it, right? Like these are religious elites. They've read it. But Jesus is kind of sticking a finger in their eye before he starts, right? Um, Because 
Jesus just did stuff like that sometimes. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Um, in the days of Abiathar, my Hebrew's awful, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only or which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now watch this. Jesus could have argued with them on about a hundred fronts, right? He had a wide variety of obvious arguments to bring out. But he brings out a relatively obscure passage about David. Now, this is weird, and he does it for a reason. And the reason opens up a huge like window as to who Jesus was and, and what Sabbath is about. Um, he specifically talks about David. At this point in time in the story, like you flash way back to King David, he's not King David yet. Saul is still king. David is on the run for his life. And he's got a group of soldiers that are running away from Saul with him, trying to avoid getting killed, right? However, Samuel the prophet has come and anointed David as the next king. So he is God's anointed, meaning he's God's chosen one, right? Um, and so he has all of this, like, authority associated with God's picking him and with the fact that he will be king one day. These guys are on the run. They're hungry, and one of the priests collects up the bread of consecration. This is 12 loaves of bread that were set on the altar at the beginning of the week. And it was a big deal. No one was allowed to eat them except the priest. And they had a specific day and way to eat them. And it was considered a huge offense to God for anyone else to touch this bread. Right? But this priest saw David said, oh my gosh, this is the Lord's anointed. I'm pretty sure he can have the bread. Right? I worked at a company once where I, the first real job I had out of college um, that had a very strict dress code. And one of the dress code items was you must wear black socks to work every day. The only one who can get away with wearing socks other than black socks is the owner of the company, right? I one day was sitting at my desk, the very short amount of time before they fired me, and my boss came in and saw that I was wearing Argyle socks. Now, it was Argyle socks or nothing that day, right? And I'm pretty sure they would have been far more upset with me wearing bare feet and dress shoes. Um, but I, so I, I compromised. And they said, wait a minute, why are you wearing those? And I was like, well, it was the only socks I had today. I'm sorry, I, I'm poor and I haven't bought socks. And they wrote me up. Well, okay, here's your write-up, you know, your official reprimand. And, and they said, I said, well, but look, I didn't have anything else. And he said, look. The only person who can wear Argyle socks is the owner of the company, period. Why can't I do it? I don't have the authority, right? Why can't I lay tread with Dwayne's car? I don't have the authority, right? Dwayne can. His son can, assuming his father doesn't find out, I, right? I, <laughs> um, the priest looked at David and said, David's got some authority because he's God's chosen one. And so he can eat the bread, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Um, and so Jesus' counter-argument isn't, hey, you guys made up that rule about not picking grain to eat on the Sabbath. It is, David had the authority to do it. And so what he's jumping ahead and saying is, you know what? I got more authority than David because I'm God's son. He is actually claiming something huge for himself. He's saying, listen, I'm in charge here. I can do what I want. 
right? I, I do not like for the children to jump on my furniture, right? I don't like it. I can jump on the furniture if I want. I don't. <laughs> At least not with an earshot of my wife. <laughs> but because Jesus is the Son of God, he has a degree of authority like David. Now, this is, there's kind of a secondary thing to this. David was promised by God that one of his descendants would be on the throne of Israel forever. And David is, is, is kind of the big rock star of Jewish life. And so for Jesus to put himself on plane with, with David puts him in a serious position. Jesus is making a major claim about who he is, what his authority is, and everything else. He says, this is my Sabbath. I will do what I want. Right? Now, what he wants isn't to ignore Sabbath, right? I mean, he's not ignoring it. He actually obeys Sabbath. He goes to worship. He does things, right? But he doesn't follow other people's rules because he's in charge. Um, the same way as Dwayne can do whatever he wants with his car because it's his car. Um, all right, so he calls out this example. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Two claims here. So first argument, David ate consecrated bread, and I'm greater than David. Second argument, we exist like the Sabbath doesn't exist like so we can observe it, right? Sabbath isn't an end in itself. We don't make Sabbath better by doing it, right? Sabbath makes us better when we do it. It was a gift God gave us. You ever find anybody who, like, is so enslaved to their possessions that they can't enjoy life? Um, that is so, like, like, tied to their car or so tied to their house or so tied to their, you know, whatever that they cannot enjoy themselves. They have to focus on this thing. I had a neighbor in, India, or in Alabama who had a Porsche, and that guy, that Porsche was was probably, like, closer to him than his children. And and one day it got totaled by a fella um, who didn't have insurance, and so basically he never got another Porsche. And, and that guy was mad. But that Porsche, like his life orbited around it. He would spend whole days out there with it. I mean, not doing anything in particular, not driving it. He would hang out with the car in a carport. Um, but everything revolved around it. And ultimately, that car was like everything. And it didn't improve him. He improved it. Um, same thing with Sabbath. Sabbath exists for us to know God better. Sabbath exists for us to enjoy God. And Jesus is in charge of the Sabbath. He is over it. He is the Lord of it, meaning that he can do as he pleases. And what he pleases to do, honestly, if you look at Jesus as like Sabbath interaction, he doesn't please to follow rules that are arbitrary. He doesn't please to turn Sabbath into something miserable, right? If you look at it, Jesus spends time resting and praying. It's a recurring theme in Jesus' ministry. He will get away from everyone else and spend time with God. Like he does it over and over again. It doesn't designate it as Sabbath, but it's a practice of his. Um, There's one point where he's surrounded by people. He's surrounded by thousands of people. He's healing all day. And finally he backs up and gets away from them. He's not done healing. He just leaves because he needs to take a break. And he spends time with God. I had a great pastor say to me once, you know, Eric, you work too hard. Look at this passage. Jesus stopped and took a break. I I know you're more important than Jesus. 
I know you're more vital to the ministry. Maybe you should take a break. You know, if he did, you can, right? Um, the, this passage, the reason I'm digging this out and the reason I'm putting it out here is, um, first off, like, we, we do not celebrate Sabbath the way the ancient Jews did. Sabbath is not a law we obey, right? It's not a collection of misery. It's a gift we're given to enjoy. It is time we're given to back up and rest. It's something to make us better. And Jesus is in charge of it. Now, there's a second story here, and I'm sorry. I, I'm going to be a little over time today, but I started late. Um, I'm going to do my best. And, um, yeah. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue with a man with a, excuse me, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So the synagogue would be a big room and everybody would sit around and you would have a spot in the middle, not like a church where everybody, you have a spot in the middle. And so Jesus makes the guy get up and stand in the middle of the room with his shriveled hand. And so Jesus isn't doing this in secret. He's putting it out there kind of to screw with these guys, right? He's intentionally calling them out. Um, And I think he knows what's coming. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to to save a life or to kill? But they remain silent. They know what he's going to do, right? They are absolutely certain Jesus is about to heal this guy. And so they've come to the conclusion that Jesus is a guy who can perform miracles. Despite that, they're looking for reasons to trip him up, right? Right? Ooh, he didn't agree with me, and so I don't care that he can make dead people come back to life. It is on, right? These guys are so overly focused on doing things the right way and doing things, like, perfectly in harmony with their traditions and their laws that they've lost sight. And they can't respond because no matter what they say, they're going to make themselves look dumb. Because if they agree with him, oh, yeah, you can do good on the Sabbath, right? You can save a life on the Sabbath, Um then they validate what he's about to do, and they know what he's about to do, right? Like, they they have every understanding of what's about to happen, and they're laying a trap for him, and Jesus steps in the middle of it. And so they remain silent. Can you do good or can you do bad? He looked around at them in anger. This is one of only a few spots where we see Jesus get angry. And some translations render this anger and pity, Because he looks at them and they are so stuck. Do you ever meet somebody who gets so stuck that they become stupid? Don't point. Especially at me. (laughs) Thanks, thanks, Big D. Um, These people have become so hard-hearted and so contorted on themselves that they become dumb. And they become foolish. And they've begun to reject God in favor of their own thing. Um, He's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. um, Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now there's a great irony at the end. So Jesus heals the guy because he can. He doesn't violate the Sabbath. That's the other thing. There's no Sabbath law against saying, hey, you're healed. None. The rabbis didn't even think of it, right? Didn't even come up. It's against the rules to mix medicine together. It's against the rules to perform surgery unless it's going to save someone's life, right? 
But like in this instance, there's no rule against, hey, I'm going to perform a miracle. You, there's no rule against performing miracles. How, how crazy is that? But they're angry at him because they knew he was baiting him, and they were trying. They were baiting him, so whatever, you know. Um, they knew, like, like that he had performed this miracle. Honestly, I think they knew he came from God, but they didn't want it. Um, so they went out, and they tried to figure out how to kill him. And here's the irony. You may not heal someone on the Sabbath because you have to obey God. Let's go kill that guy. Like, they're violating the Sabbath pretty much by planning a murder. And even worse, the Herodians, like, the, the Herodians aren't mentioned very often. These were guys probably associated with the family of Herod. The Jews hated Herod. I mean, oh, my gosh, did they hate Herod. Herod is the guy who cut off John the Baptist's head, right? <laughs> I mean, like, they did not like him. But they, let's get together with the enemy to plan Jesus' death on the Sabbath. But you can't work. Um, and there's, there's a couple of big things here. Um, the most important big thing here is that the Sabbath exists for good, right? We enjoy the Sabbath because it restores us, because it replenishes us, but also because um, like it gives us opportunity to go- do good. Like It gives us opportunity to spend time with the body of Christ. It gives us opportunity to serve people. It gives us opportunity to visit people in the hospital but not caring. Um, it gives us opportunity. She said not to. Um, <laughs> I, I said it, and I thought, oh, man, I should clarify. Um, it gives us opportunity to do all of these things that we wouldn't normally be able to do because we're working, right? Um, it gives us opportunity to, to, to do good. So the Sabbath as an institution is not about rules. The Sabbath as an institution is a little like date night, Right? It's a great gift we're given. We take the Mustang out and we enjoy the heck out of it, right? We enjoy each other's company. We celebrate the great things that God has done for us. We celebrate Christ dying for us. We celebrate God's provision. We enjoy Sabbath, right? Um, Do we have to do it? No, I don't think we do. I don't think you go to hell if you don't celebrate Sabbath. I really don't. Um, But it's a little like waking up on Christmas morning and leaving the gifts under the tree, right? Man, those gifts look good, but I'm too busy to open them right now. I'm going to go vacuum, right? Man, I would really love to open my Christmas presents, but I got to sit down at my desk and knock out an hour or two of paperwork. Anybody do that? Oh, man, that pumpkin pie looks good. But I'm not eating it this today. I got other stuff to take care of out in the barn. I got some maintenance to do on a combine. Anybody do combine maintenance on Christmas? You do, don't you? <laughs> do you skip over the good meal for it? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Sabbath is a gift we're given to enjoy God, right? Sabbath is a gift we're given to know him. Sabbath is a gift we're given to serve each other. And you know what? Like, Jesus gave it to us for that purpose. Not so we can be miserable and hungry because to go out and get something to eat would be a sin. That's nuts, isn't it? Um, The last couple of sermons in this series, which are going to be the really fun stuff, will not happen until after I get back from Israel in January. January. (laughs) (laughs) Which, June or January, depending on 
Jessica's attitude toward me after she's been alone with the kids for a few days. <laughs> Maybe longer. Um, as, as, we, as we tie this up, like, because I've had people ask me, well, wait a minute, does that mean I do that on Saturday? What's the difference between Saturday and Sunday? What's this? What's that? Like, I'm going to tell you the big idea here is take a day and rest with God, right? Take a day to do good. Take a day to celebrate God's goodness. Take a day to, like, honestly, like date night, right? Take a day to, to spend time with God, just getting to know him better and catching up, right? Um, Shania is awesome because she mentioned that during the course of the week, stuff just jumps up and bites you, doesn't it? Sabbath exists so we can decompress from that and talk to God about it. Isn't that awesome? Um, this is the first Sunday of the month. We do communion on the first Sunday of the month. And, and so I'm going to call my guys forward who are doing communion with us. And, and I want to I emphasize this as we prepare. Like, communion started out, like, the first communion happened at um, the Feast of Passover, which means it was like an annual festival that they did, um, the Jewish people did. They did it every year. And Jesus took a ceremony that happened in the Passover meal with bread and with wine, and he repurposed it to talk about his death and resurrection on our behalf. He took it and he reformed it because if he's Lord of the Sabbath, he's probably Lord of Passover. And so as we take communion, I want you to remember this is a gift Jesus gave us. It is a memorial he gave us. It's an ordinance he commanded us to follow where on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his bread and he broke it. He said, guys, this is my body. It's broken for you. Jesus took your sins. He was broken on your behalf. And once a month we gather up and we remember Jesus was broken for me. I didn't deserve it. God loves me that much. Jesus died for me. And so as you take the bread, bring your heart and your mind into a place where, like, you remember Jesus was broken for you. He loved you that much that he would take your sins on himself. And so let's worship God with our, with our taking of the bread this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, you, you, you can celebrate communion with us.
At the same meal, Jesus took his cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to his disciples saying, this is my blood. This is a sign of the new covenant. What he meant was, like when you take this, this is a sign of the contract I make with you. My blood covers you. You're forgiven, washed clean because I'm shedding my blood on your behalf. Like Jesus was pierced. His blood spilled on the cross. And because of that, we're forgiven. Because of that, we have grace. Like we have God as our father. We have Jesus as our brother. We're adopted into the family. We belong to him. And so as you take the cup, like bring your heart and your mind into a place where you're remembering, like, I belong to God because Jesus died for me. And I need to be thankful for that. I need to be his person.